Okay, so first of all, I want to say how much I appreciate the Orochas leading us in, in worship. It's just awesome. Uh, also, uh, we, we are gonna, we're getting back to communion every week, and we have those little non-delicious uh, communion packets. So if you want to surreptitiously uh, go over and get yourself one if you don't have one, uh, please feel free to do so. Uh, let me get my timer on so I don't get all long-winded. All right. Um, uh, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have it on the screen. But if you like to write things down and also, you know, uh, scientists have studied, we have page memory, very interesting. So it's easier to remember things in a page as opposed to, anyway, I won't get into that. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I have kind of a confession to make. This text for me is kind of like, it's kind of like going to a restaurant that I've never been to before. Like, like uh, Sharon and I, a few weeks ago, we went to this, the, a friend of ours um, opened a Burmese cuisine place in Aurora, had no idea it was there. And we went to go, we went to it and it turned out it was a whole food court of awesome international cuisine at this place called Mango House. I had no idea it was there. And I'm just like walking past, there's like Somali food and there's uh, uh, Syrian food and Nepalese food and all these things that smell delicious and look amazing and I can't pronounce a single thing on any of the menus. I had no idea it was there and for me to really know my way around any of that stuff, I need to go there like 50 times, okay? Including the Burmese place that we ended up eating, which you should go there, it's called Urban Burma. Um, but this text is just like that. Usually when I'm preaching, the text is touching on some, some truth of the Christian faith that I've been familiar with for a long time, spent many years reflecting on, reading books on. This is new. So this could be either pretty cool or a burning disaster of a sermon because I am just at the front end of reflecting on this truth that I, I even though I've been through the Bible a bunch, I never saw this before. So let's read before we get into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Please pray with me. God, I, I pray that you would give me help uh, to preach your word faithfully and clearly. And if I were to say something that is out of accord with the intent of your word, that you would protect your people from it. Um, but open your word to us now and build us up through it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an um, a, a old story from the Old Testament, the book of Judges. There was... Um, it was a time when Israel was in a very chaotic state, and there was two tribes fighting with each other, and they were divided by a river, the Jordan River. And when one tribe would find some people they didn't recognize on their side of the river, they would go up to them and say, hey, are you from the other side of the river? To which they would reply, 
No, I'm not from the other side of the river, not from the other tribe. And then they would say, okay, say shibboleth. That's the Hebrew word for seed, shibboleth. Because the people from the other side of the river said shibboleth, not shibboleth. And so when they would say shibboleth, they would then kill them. Because it was evidence they belonged to the other tribe. Folks, our world right now, our society and the church is full of tribalism with its own shibboleths. You say the wrong thing, you have the wrong insignia somehow, you say shibboleth, you might be killed. Masks are one, right? That's become a tribal marker in our society. Well, you know, what sort are you? Are you a mask wearer in worship or not? And if you give the wrong answer, well, we don't, we're not all the way to killing, but I was talking to a church planting colleague uh, earlier this week who said, yeah, four families left our church because we wore masks, masks, masks in worship. It, it didn't matter the reasons. It wasn't because the church was, was teaching something ungodly. It was, oh, your mask wearers, we're out of here. You said shibboleth. The, your, your opinions on the former president, Trump. In fact, saying Trump in some cases, I said shibboleth because I didn't call him 45. Right? And if you're, on the wrong, if you're in the wrong tribe from someone, you could get piled on, canceled, shamed, written off, unfriended, whatever. Another one, and this is, this is in my own uh, denomination, this is a big deal right now, is critical race theory. Uh, you know, uh, wokeness or what, what, what have you. If you, it, literally there are conservative seminaries putting out statements saying, if any of our professors say anything that sounds like critical race theory, it is verboten. Don't say shibboleth. As an aside, like most of the people who have a massive problem with critical race theory, I'm convinced they have no idea what it is. I, I'm like 15 books deep on it at this point, and, and I don't agree with all of it, but it really doesn't sound like, like I think really people have watched a single video on Facebook and <laughs> formed their opinion, right? It, which is not good, that's not good methodology, just so you know. But it's, it, if, if you say the word social justice in some circles, you just said shibboleth, you're dead. And if you question any part of critical race theory in others, you are equally dead, canceled, piled on, what have you. And there's real world consequences with this. They just ousted the president of CU Boulder. He was raising plenty of money, which was his job. He was addressing their issues with diversity and inclusion. He was making real progress, but he was ousted. You know why? The, the students took like massive student demonstrations. It's because 15 years ago, he took a position that wasn't sufficiently pro-choice. It was pro-choice, but not pro-choice enough. He had to go, he said shibboleth. And by the way, I'm guilty. I've, I've, I have, I'm not even on social media, so I, but you know, when someone in my own tribe uh, theologically or something like that, gets outed as a scoundrel or unethical or something like that, I take it hard. I'm like, ooh, that one hurts. 
on someone from the other tribe, and I'll just go ahead and name names, Jerry Falwell Jr. Not in my tribe, okay? But he turns out to be a scoundrel. I'm like, yeah, another one bites the dust, you know? But this is nothing new. This was happening in Israel in a much more severe way. It's happened throughout the history of the church, and it was happening in ancient Corinth. It, it, for those of you who have been with us in this series in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the church at ancient Corinth was highly tribal. They had names for their tribes. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. And they were going at it tooth and nail. And Paul's main objective in his letter, to the, the, the first letter to the Corinthians, is to get past the tribes to unity in Christ. So this section... Uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 18 through 23, is the culmination of his first big-picture argument, okay? And, and so what do we see here? What does he tell us? How do we get past tribalism to unity in Christ? Well, first of all, he says, let go of what the tribe gives you. He says we must let go of what the tribe gives us. Look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. That's an imperative. Don't deceive yourself. If anyone among you thinks that he is what? Wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. So the first thing to let go of that the tribe gives you is approval. When he says, if anyone is wise in this age, that's not a description of their character. That's a label. That's a status term. You're among the wise. You're one of the folks that gets it. You're the right sort, not the wrong sort. You're in our tribe, right? So we must let go of the approval that the tribe gives us. And also, we need to let go of the wisdom that the tribe gives us. You see, a lot of the time, the wisdom that we get from whatever tribe of the world that we're in or, or you know, inside of the church it's, it's wise only in that context. It's something that you do or say. It's lingo that you learn so that you can sound like one of them. And then they will say, you are wise. And, you know, like, I don't want to minimize how good it feels to be identified with a tribe. I remember, so I just, my sad story. <laughs> I was not one of the cool kids, right? At all. I was, I was definitely an outsider, and um, I didn't really find my crew until uh, after high school. And I got, you know, the, the, the punk rock scene was just my jam. Um, I, I, I was a musician. I, I, you know, would go with my friends. I, I had a jacket with patches on the back. I had the whole deal. I, I had the tribal markers. I fit in. And so, Every weekend, you know, there'd be, in Southern California, you'd have punk shows left and right. And I'd, I'd go to those, and that was, that was my, my crew, right? I fit in. And guess what? One time, I think it was for Cadillac Tramps. Anyone know the Cadillac? Not... Nick, Misfits and the Cadillac Tramps. I, we have more punk rock in common than I thought. <laughs> and so it was at this punk show, the big punk show, right? And I was there with my friends, and, and I saw, I'm not kidding, <laughs> I saw three kids that I knew in elementary school, one of whom literally said, you can't hang out with our group because you're a nerd. He literally said those words 
to me, and they clearly didn't fit in, right? It was, it was him and these two girls, and they were kind of looking around nervously. You could tell they wanted to be part of this, but they were terrified, and, and they see me, and they, they half run over to me. They're like, it's Matt, and, and they come up to me. They're like, hey, Matt, good to see you at the show. Cool, and um, you know, I was a Christian at that point, so I pretended I didn't know them and walked the other direction. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I've grown now, so I'd probably do it again. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but, look, it, it felt good to be approved by the tribe. I fit somewhere. I, w I had approval. I knew how to talk the lingo. I knew how to be in this tribe. And it felt even better that I got to exclude someone from it. <laughs> you know? Like, we get something from it. There's something human about it. And so are we simply to let go of that? Is that the whole message here? Is you don't need approval. You don't need to fit anywhere. No. Paul says next, lay hold of what Christ gives you. Let go of what the tribe gives you. Lay hold of what Christ gives you. First of all, he gives us God's approval. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. That with means alongside. When you compare the wisdom of the tribe, when you compare the whatever wisdom you got going on with God's wisdom, it is folly. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So what is greater than a tribe saying you're wise? It's God saying you're wise. It's getting God's approval. It's going God's way. Why settle for the approval of a micro subgroup that you're performing for on social media and breaking some speech ethics, <laughs> you know, principles while you're at it, or to lay that aside, to give it up and lay hold of God's approval in Christ. And also, this is the part where I'm a little pokered. Lay hold of what Christ gives you, God's approval, but also everything. Everything. Look at verses 21 through 22. So, let no one boast in men. That word boast, it means like get your glory. Let no one get their glory from men. Why? For all things are yours. Well, surely Paul has a bounded definition of what he means by all things. He means some things, right? Well, look at what he says. He lists whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Now, first of all, for those of you who remember, those are the names of the tribes in Corinth. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Paul has said that again and again, making fun of them. And now he flips it around. He says, you are not of Paul. You are not of Apollos. You are not of Cephas. They are of you. They belong to you. You see what he says? All things are yours. Paul is yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas is yours. You don't belong to the tribe. The tribes belong to you. He goes on. I wish he had stopped there. It would make more sense to me. He says, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. Is that a comprehensive enough list for everybody? 
all are yours. Lay hold of what Christ gives you. God's approval and quite literally everything belongs to us in Christ. This is the part where I'm like, man, I need to go to this restaurant more because I've only begun to scratch the surface reflecting on how this helps us overcome tribalism. Look at verse 23. He says, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Now, when you look at some of those things, you might say, you know, I, in what way do I, in what way does the present and the future belong to me? Life and death, I feel like I'm, I feel like they have a hold of me. I'm powerless against them. The way I thought of it was, like, if it belongs to your family, it belongs to you, even if, like, we have a minivan that my kids cannot drive, but it belongs to them. It is their minivan, um, and one day we're going to hand it down to them and, and uh, get something cute to drive, but, uh, <laughs> but it's theirs, even if they aren't in control of it, we are. So we belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Therefore, everything that God, the creator and, 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 and ruler of all things, it, it belongs to us. Now, how does that, how does everything belonging to us allow us to overcome, to address tribalism? How does it bring unity? There was, um, there was once a king named Croesus, and... Um, Croesus was the, the king of the Lydians, and they were, the, they were famous because they were the first ones to use coins as money, and perhaps that's how they got so rich, but he was famously rich. There was a byword, rich as Croesus. And uh, Croesus's kingdom, Lydia, was in what's now uh, southwestern Turkey, um, and they had a capital city called Sardis. I've actually been there. It's quite impressive. And Croesus had a terrible idea one day that he wanted to go to war, as kings do, and, and prove his greatness by going up, and he even had a prophecy that he thought was on his side. He went up against a guy named Cyrus the Great, the founder of the Persian Empire. Now, he didn't know he was Cyrus the Great yet. He was just Cyrus. But, I mean, talk about pulling on Superman's cape, like... He's like, yeah, I want it with Cyrus. Let's go make this happen. And then he did, and his army gets destroyed in the battle. And he gets defeated all the way back to the city of Sardis. His army tries to defend Sardis, gets crushed by Cyrus, as happened to everybody. And, and then Croesus is taken prisoner. And, uh, and Cyrus has Croesus brought before him. And they are both watching as the city of Sardis is being looted, burned, destroyed. They're carrying off all the, all the wealth. The soldiers are just having a field day, destroying the place. And Croesus says, um, Cyrus, can I speak or would you prefer me to remain silent? And Cyrus says, you can go ahead and speak. And he, he pointed to the city. He said, hey, what is it these guys are doing so enthusiastically. Cyrus kind of laughs and he says, they're, they're destroying your city and carrying away your wealth. Croesus says, that's not what they're doing. Cyrus is like, oh, what are they doing then? And Croesus says, they're destroying your city and carrying away your wealth. When you own something, it completely changes how you view it. 
right? It, it, the, you don't belong to the tribe. There's not another tribe to defeat. It's yours. Any, any victory that you win over a tribal enemy, you actually only hurt yourself. You see, because it belongs to you. When we take this into mind, when we let go of what the tribe gives us, right? Instead of seeking this approval, trying to be wise in the eyes of the world, doing a performance on social media, you know, you like the right thing, you dislike the right thing, you share the right thing, you condemn the right thing, what are you going to get? You're going to get approval from the tribe. You're going to get likes from the right people. You might even get, and this looks even better, you might even get dissed by the, by the right people, the people from the other tribe, which makes you look even better with your tribe. You see, but if, if both tribes belong to you, there's no winning that battle, is there? We need to let go of the world's approval. And by the way, that might be hard for a lot of us. You may get canceled. You may get called out. You may get condemned. There might be real career impacts if you, if you let go, if you stop seeking the approval of the tribe. And, and letting go of the wisdom of the tribe as well. Have you ever noticed that the, the tribes in the church, these bitter divisions, none of them started from like, hey, I read the Bible this way, I read the Bible this way. Really, it's something that's in the world that makes its way into the church. Masks versus non-masks, that's from world to church. Uh, uh, issues around, um, you know, capitalism versus Marxism, that's worldly stuff that's made its way into the church. Uh, traditional culture versus anti-traditional culture, that has so many, has generated so many tribes over the years, that is a worldly thing that made its way into the church. It does not come from the scriptures. You need to let go of what the tribe gives us and lay hold of what Christ gives us. Why are we so concerned with the approval, that little pittance, that little temporary fleeting dopamine hit that we get from the approval of the tribe when we have God's approval there for us to lay hold of in Christ? And, and laying hold of everything, because everything belongs to us, it sounds so wrong. But some of the implications are that I do not belong to the Reformed tradition. The Reformed, I am, I'm in the Reformed tradition, but it belongs to me. You know what else belongs to me? The non-Reformed tradition, and the Catholic tradition, and the Eastern Orthodox tradition, and every other tradition. I don't belong to it. You don't belong to it. It belongs to us in Christ. There is not a team that we're playing for against another team. It all belongs to us in Christ. Well, I'm glad someone thinks so, because well, let me tell you, let me tell you, this, this idea Everything belongs to us in Christ. My heart's not all the way around that yet. I think I believe it with about one-third of, my, of, my, of myself, right? But the more that we grasp hold that everything belongs to us in Christ, the less precious the approval and the wisdom of the tribe becomes. The less thrilled we are when we see the other tribe getting, you know, dunked on and our tribe getting upped. These are the things that lead away 
from factions. Let's not fall again for the little pittance of approval and wisdom that the tribe gives us. Instead, let's lay hold of what Christ gives us because everything belongs to you in Christ. Please pray with me. God, help, my, help us who are slow to believe and struggle to believe this great truth, this magnificent truth that more than we ask or imagine is ours in Christ. That death, that life, that present, that future are ours. Let us not settle for the scraps from the table of the world and instead feast at your table for what you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. We come now.